contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Hey, welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports. I'm going to have a Branch Ranch edition, some key stuff going on in the NFL right now. I'll get to it in a minute. First, it's sponsor. Football season is back. You looking for a place to make your wagers? Well, there's only one place. It's betonline.ag. You'll take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Use promo code PODCAST1, all caps, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, number one, you receive a 50% sign-up bonus today. It's betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Now on to a Brands Rants edition of the Business of Sports. I've talked a lot about flashpoints, different times of the year from my experience as an agent and a team executive where things really happen. And they happen in a way to sort of button up business. It happens right after the season, and here we are right before the season as a real flashpoint. So I'll get into a lot of things here. I really want to spend some time on Tom Brady's upgrade of his contract. I use upgrade with benevolence. I'm not sure it really was an upgrade. It just has me scratching my head again about one of the continuing mysteries in the business of sports, in the history of the business of sports, which is Tom Brady consistently taking undervalued contracts. We'll talk about that in a minute. There has been resolution, start with this, between the Chicago Bears and Roquan Smith. Roquan Smith was the last of 256 draft picks in the 2018 NFL draft to sign. Why did it take so long? It's a little bit complicated. Stay with me here. I'll reiterate again that when the CBA was negotiated seven years ago in 2011, there was a sacrifice. And the easy sacrifice for the owners and veteran players was rookies. Veteran players always thought rookies made too much, walking in the locker room, never having played a snap, making more than them. Some of the top of the salary scale, the bonus babies at that time reached $50 million in guaranteed money, the last one being Sam Bradford. Owners, on the other hand, were embarrassed by recent contracts, bloated like Jamarcus Russell, Ryan Leaf, busts that crippled salary caps of teams like that. And, of course, of these rookies making so much money. And I can speak from experience. When you negotiate a top pick in the old days, those were some of the hardest contracts to do. I had A.J. Hawk, fifth pick in the draft, 2006. It was like a 33-page contract. Because before the CBA, you had voids, you had buybacks, you had second signing bonuses. That money outside the rookie pool was crazy negotiating these deals. Agents had all the leverage. And now it's changed. So a sacrifice was made. Rookies make a lot less than they did. No one's going to feel sorry for these top rookies making 20 to 30 million guaranteed, but in the old days they made 40 to 50 million guaranteed. That's a lot of money. The issue with Smith is while the, the CBA predetermined contracts in terms of compensation, they didn't predetermine contracts in terms of language. Each team is up to its own devices and trying to put language in that protects them. And when you talk about first-round picks, the protection teams are looking for is against the future guarantees because these top picks like Roquan Smith, about top 20, 21 of the NFL draft, get fully guaranteed contracts. That's what the agents have extracted out of this deal, which is great. Give credit to them. But now teams are mitigating that risk with all kinds of things like offsets, which we've talked about, which if a player is cut during the term of the contract, signs with a new team, gets new money from a new team, he doesn't get to double dip. Offsets are all about, no, the team, original team, gets relief on that. So the liability is reduced. That has been instituted in basically every rookie's contract. A couple teams 
don't push it like the Jaguars and the Rams, but everyone else really pushes that in. The other part is voiding future guarantees. It has become commonplace for teams to void future guarantees based on conduct off the field. If they have a suspension based on the steroid policy, based on drug policy, based on the conduct policy, it has become de rigueur that that is uh, going to void any future guarantees. So if someone has, say, $30 million in future guarantees, it's voided. Not the contract, not the numbers, but the guaranteed part of it. So the player just has to earn it. You take a situation like Lane Johnson with the Eagles, 50-something million of future guaranteed money, or at least that's what was reported. That went away with his second steroid suspension. However, it doesn't look like he's going to be cut anytime soon. So guarantee or not is not a big issue with him, but it might be. It might be down the road, and it certainly might be with these rookies who never know. So when you negotiate a contract, you never know he's going to be a bust, going to be a great player. So these are all about protecting risk. Roquan Smith lasted into the third week of August or the middle of August, which is extraordinary for a rookie. The second longest uh, timeout of any rookie in history. The first would go to, of course, Joey Bosa a couple years ago. Interesting, both are represented by CAA. Agents have limited op ways to sort of separate themselves, differentiate themselves from the pack. And we see here that agents have done that with CAA. They just fight for this language. In the case of Joey Bosa, maybe they got some better payment terms on the signing bonus here. It's complicated, but what's been reported has been, well, they can void future guarantees on on-field conduct, which is going to be the issue. And we talked about the helmet rule and how that was going to be interpreted if it's three games, but not for two games or not for one game. So that seems to be the compromise. The natural question coming out of this is, was it worth it? There really aren't three-game suspensions for on-field conduct, but they're in, unless they're completely egregious, I guess. I mean, was it worth it for CAA? Probably. Now they can show this to their future recruits saying, look what we did. We bucked up against the Bears. We got this unique language that only would suspend future guarantees for on-field conduct for this most egregious, most rare occurrence. Yeah, and you look at the side of the Bears. Was it worth it? Well, the Bears, I mean, it got language they wanted. Uh, they'll use in future numbers. I mean, listen, they probably didn't have any language about on-field conduct voting future suspensions. Now they have some. So again, this is all about bigger issues than Roquan Smith. I always say with contract negotiations, it's never about that contract, right? It's never about the contract at issue. It's always about the future. And even within the contract at issue, it's more about, okay, what happens down the road? You never worry about what the guy's going to do right now. What about year three? What about year four? What if this happens? What if that happens? Mitigating risk, protecting risk. And we knew, you knew, I knew, the Bears knew, Smith knew, the agents knew. He was not going to miss any time. I targeted kind of mid-August at the time he would come in, and he came in August 14th. So that's just kind of the way it worked out. Everyone walks away. All 256 NFL draft picks are signed, sealed, and delivered. The so CBA is working according to the way they wanted between, at least from ownership, these guys are not going to be issues late into training camp as they were before. And these contracts can be easy to negotiate. The hardest part to negotiate are the non-economic terms, which comes down to language, forfeitures, dealing with future guarantees, and of course, protecting risk, which teams are doing better and better every year, imposing their will on players with no leverage, uh, in exchange for these guarantees at the top. Listen, 
last comment on these on the rookie contracts. It gives teams incredible value. Everyone's asking, well, how do these teams live with $25 million quarterbacks and $12 million receivers? Uh, you know, listen, if you manage a cap, you should have no problem uh, balancing out five, six, seven, even 10 kind of elite top level contracts on your team, assuming because at least half your team is going to be on rookie contracts. And rookie contracts are cheap, they're affordable, they're fixed, they're reasonable. Uh, you have players playing into their third, fourth year, making six, seven hundred thousand dollars especially in extreme cases like a Dak Prescott with the Cowboys making $600,000. Players like him around the league are making $25 million. Imagine how much you can do with that kind of savings. So again, this is all coming to fruition as the owners wanted this rookie pool. Roquan Smith bucked up a little bit, but he'll, he'll go in. The money's been preset. He has off-field conduct voiding suspensions. He has an egregious case of on-field conduct avoiding his suspensions. All is well and good with this draft class of 2018, all safely tucked in to training camp. Big issue I want to talk about is Tom Brady. I've brought it up in my writings for ESPN, for MMQB, this week for The Athletic. I've talked about it on TV, on radio. I've podcasting. It's not talked about a lot. I mean, I'm certainly not the only one, but listen, the best, most recognizable, you know, arguably the best, along with Aaron Rodgers, most recognizable player in football is Tom Brady. He continues to take undervalued contracts throughout his career. And I bring it up again this week because he took what was supposed to be an upgrade. And again, let's be clear, it is an upgrade. It is more money than he's supposed to make if he makes it. Uh And it just raises the question again. Tom Brady not only takes undervalued contracts, he takes undervalued contract adjustments. Here's what he did. You know, there were some rumblings. Maybe Brady wasn't happy with his contract. Maybe the Patriots would do something. Well, they did. And here it is. If he finishes in the top five in one of five uh, quarterback categories, he'll make a million dollars each, cumulative effect of $5 million. It would double to $2 million each. If he wins the Super Bowl, however, the, it's capped out as a maximum of $5 million. So he's making $15 million. If he's top five in one of these categories, $16 million. Top five in two, $17 million, three, four, five, up to $20 million, which would place him maybe top 20 of NFL quarterback pay this year total compensation instead of you know 23rd or wherever he is now. In other words, if he hits four of those things, he's up to $19 million, he'll match Blake Bortles. If, he's up, if he hits three of them, more than half, he's up to $18 million, which puts him at Case Keenum level. You know, just start thinking about that. Even Darnold and Mayfield make more than Brady. Now, again, let's be fair. Their, their contracts are heavily weighted toward first year as, as rookie contracts. But it's really uncanny. Uh, I don't think there's a question now whether Tom Brady takes undervalued contracts and undervalued contract adjustments. The question is why, which we'll get to in a minute. But let's just think about this adjustment. This is not free money. He has to earn it and not earn it with gimme incentives like tying his shoes or falling over or or gaining 20 yards. (laughs) These are real incentives, top five. Now, again, Brady's top five quarterback should happen, no problem. But what if he doesn't? What if he's hurt? What if he's hurt for three games? 
I mean, these are issues that you just raise your eyebrows like, wait a minute, they didn't give Tom Brady real money. This is the adjustment incentives, really, for Tom Brady? Even Julio Jones, who was making some noise about being underpaid, he had three years left on his deal. They weren't going to tear up that deal with three years left. What did they do? They gave him $3 million, $2.9 million of what is essentially free money. Not incentives, not have to be earned, cash, cash. So <laughs> you have to say, well, wait a minute. Do the, do the Patriots not feel as strongly about Tom Brady as the Falcons feel about Julio Jones? There have been other cases, I can't think of them right now, where teams would just sort of give, if there's, you know, just sort of calm a situation, some money to a player to sort of get them through the year, at least as a short-term appeasement. This is not happening with Brady, and he accepted it. Listen, I, I love Don Yee. I think he's a great agent. He represents Brady. He represents Garoppolo, who got a monster deal this offseason. I just don't know why it happens. Here are the theories advanced. One is that Tom Brady's a team player. He allows money for other players. He's good with uh, you know helping out the team. I get it, but that's a cap issue. If you want to create cap money so the team can sign other players, great. He does that. This is part of this deal is converting salary into signing bonus, which creates short-term cap room. It pushes out cap problems to later, but that's fine. He did that. He's done that before, but so has everyone. Pick a quarterback. Teams do this all the time. Roethlisberger's done it several times. Drew Brees has done it. Uh, Players at other positions do it all the time. You have a big salary. Teams convert it into bonus, so the proration means that cap is spread out over the number of years remaining, not just that year. And this is what happens. Brady does it, yes. So if you want to help the team, give him cap relief. He does it. Kudos to him, but so does everyone who's asked. It also gives him better cash flow. Instead of waiting September 2 through December to get the money, he gets the money right away. So there are reasons on both sides to do this. That's okay. But here, it's taking less cash. Forget about cap. Cap's just accounting. Cash. You're taking less money. So if you're taking less money to supposedly help the team well the team has money the team has money and if you're not worried about the cap the cap is taken care of you've helped them with the cap but you can take more cash and the patriots are not a historically high paying team where they're spending over the cap con- uh, consistently now they spent well in 17 they were one of the lowest spending teams in 16 and they're ranked about 20th as we sit here today in 18 so i just don't get it you know, the, the savings is not going to the team proving from these stats. It's going to ownership or whatever benefit the Kraft family gets from this. So the idea of helping the team, yeah, he does it through the cap, but I don't know if he does it through cash. He shouldn't have to. There's no reason uh, the owners of an asset worth $2 billion need cash from Tom Brady. Uh, they need cap under the system. He'll do that. He's done that. He did that. But he could do the same relief making $30 million a year instead of $20 million a year. It just – that $10 million is not going to – especially with a cap restructure – is not going to uh, prevent the Patriots from doing what they need to do. And it's their best player. So I just don't get it. Okay, the second reason advanced. Uh, let's see what it is. Tom Brady makes so much in endorsements. He doesn't – okay, right. I've never seen a player take less because he makes a lot of endorsements. 
you know, that I've been around the business a long time. That's thrown out there sometimes. Yeah. I mean, listen, these guys have a short shelf life to make a lot and endorsements make a lot. I mean, Brady's 40, but who, who knows what he'd be doing in 45 and 50. He's going to live a long life, you know, make as much as he can. Speaking of which, third reason given out, he's got this supermodel wife. Giselle makes tons more than he does. He doesn't need the money. I'd shake my head at that one. Which it implies that if Tom Brady had a different wife, a wife who was, I guess, normal, who didn't have a big job, who didn't make more than he did, he'd negotiate more aggressively. I don't think that's the case. I don't think if Tom Brady was married to someone not named Giselle, he would be negotiating any differently. And unless someone tells me, I just don't believe that's wrong. Another reason given out, well, he's got this trainer and the Patriots help out this trainer, Guerrero. Well, first of all, there were reports of friction all the way with Edelman, with the Patriots, with Guerrero. Maybe that's not the relationship that people think it is. And second of all, and I'll get to this on the last point, is that would be a cap violation. I mean, if they're doing something with a side agreement about a trainer, that wouldn't be kosher. And that brings us to the last reason given out, which people actually espouse publicly, including some Patriots fans I've seen. Well, he has a deal that, A, he's going to be part of ownership later. He's going to get some job later. He's going to get some money from different things. He's going to get allowed to have Guerrero in the building. And again, listen, you can't do this. The NFL has strict rules about any side agreements beyond what's in the contract. The NFL has strict rules about any compensation, whether promised, implicitly, explicitly, side agreements that are not in the contract. You can't do that. So I don't understand people saying, well, that's what they got. Now, maybe it's accusatory what people are doing. But listen, if the Patriots are making side agreements and the NFL found out about it and had evidence of it, Wow, we'd see uh, discipline way beyond what they got on Deflategate. I mean, deflated footballs would pale in comparison to skirting the salary cap to give Tom Brady extra benefits. I've never suggested that. I just lay it out. I lay out what Brady's done. I don't know why he takes less. He hasn't really addressed it. So I know people ask me, I did a radio show. People are saying, well, doesn't he have a side agreement? I'm like, no, he can't have a side agreement. So these are all the things that come up. The point is the continuing mystery of Tom Brady's undervalued compensation continues and it continues exacerbated by a contract adjustment where the Patriots gave him incentives based on top five instead of just giving the guy money. He's your best player. He's your most recognizable player. He's your franchise. I don't get it. Now a word from our sponsor, betonline.ag. You know, it's an exciting time in the gambling betting world. You know, so much going on. I've talked about the changes spurred on by the United States Supreme Court decision it's a pleasure to announce Bet Online is now the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. They're go to guys. I mean, these are the guys we trust for all things betting, whether it's lines, odds, wagers, inside info, you name it. It's betonline.ag. It's the place to be with football season right around the corner. Head to Bet Online AG, take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Again, the promo code is Podcast One, all caps, P O D C A S T One. You receive a 50% sign up bonus today. Listen, with football season coming, not a better time to get into this. And here's the place to go. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. BetOnline.ag. Last point on this Branch Rants edition of Business Football, the anthem controversy continues. We knew it would. First preseason game, we just have these sort of drips and drabs. Some Dolphins are protesting. Some Broncos are in the locker room while others are out, even though they said they'd all be out. 
someone's people are raising fists, some are kneeling. Again, no discipline because supposedly NFL and FLPA are trying to figure this thing out after the clumsy NFL policy of, that was introduced in May, which is now on hold. You have owners saying they're not going to find players. Well, they're, are, are they going to pay? The, Christopher Johnson, the Jets, even said, I'm going to pay the players fines. Well, he's the one finding them. <laughs> it's going to be the owners finding them according to that policy, and that may all change. Anyway, they got to get resolved before the season. There's more attention on it. They want that off. Of course, the tweeter-in-chief is going to continue to make this an issue. We know that. They should know that. Players know that. Owners should know that. Just make the policy, stick with it, ignore the noise, and do it. I don't know why. And this is an offshoot of what's going on with Kaepernick and his collusion case, and they appear before an arbitrator. The league's trying to get summary judgment, which basically says you should drop this case. There's nothing in There's no smoking gun. And I tend to believe there's no smoking gun because if there was a smoking gun about collusion, two teams or the league getting involved saying no one should sign Kaepernick, we would have known it by now. There was even hints from the lawyers there would be one about a year ago. So there's nothing there. And now we're speaking a year ago. We're two years now from Kaepernick first sitting or kneeling. I think he started sitting, then it was kneeling, where it kind of got noticed and then it became a big issue. And keep in mind, Kaepernick played that year. He was on a team, but not since. Uh, So this continues to roll around. Again, it all comes back to this. We had a policy, and still do, that the NFL does not require. It only encourages standing for the anthem, unlike the NBA, which requires standing. That is the genesis of this whole debate. The NFL is not going to change that unilaterally. They're trying to get the players to buy in. The $90 million into the Players Coalition, which you hear on the podcast I have with Anquan Bolden. It's a great podcast. I urge you to listen is something, that's a gesture, that seemed to go over well, but here we are again. And we have internal dissension. One of the unintended consequences of this, coaches and staff have to deal with this. Like the Broncos, two players staying in, other players coming out. We saw this last year with the Steelers and Alejandro and Villanueva coming out, everyone else staying in, maybe some hard feelings. Not all players feel the same way. You have 1,800 players, different backgrounds, different socioeconomics, different races, religions, etc., you're going to have issues, and coaches now have to deal with this. Again, owners just do what they do. They don't think about this uh, down the road with the details, but that's where we are. So you see where the anthem policy is going. We're going to continue to track that. Uh, it has been a wild early August with the business of football, giving you my rants there. Hope you enjoyed this Branch Rants edition of the Business of Sports. I do this from time to time. I'll be back next week. Please follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt. Listen to the podcast, of course, on iTunes. Give us a good rating, if you will. Stitcher, tune in, RossTucker.com, wherever you hear your podcasts. And I'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.